0: Hello, and welcome to the Get French Hookball News preview show for today, April 13th, 2017. I'm Eric Dubin, and joining me are Nathan Staples and Adam White. Before we look ahead to match day 33, though, we will take a brief look back at the European adventures of Monaco and Lyon. Adventures was certainly an apt description for the way that both of these teams' matches went. Monaco had traveled to Dortmund and earned an entertaining but sloppy win over the hosts 3-2, with the Kylian Mbappe knitting a brace last night, and the return leg is scheduled for Wednesday at the Stade Louis II. In a match which just concluded after being delayed some 45 minutes due to crowd trouble, Leon earned a 2-1 comeback win over Besiktas. So, gents, let's get started uh, with last night's encounter at the Vestvalen Stadion. Before we approach the match at hand, both of you, uh, should it have gone ahead? Was this a matter of money or simply of lack of options given the DFB Pokal is midweek the last week of the month? are there parallels to be drawn from the past and other events that give your belief uh, credence one way or the other? Nathan, we'll start with you.
1: It's it's super tough. I, I, I don't think the game should have been played. Um, I sympathise a lot with the Dortmund players and, and what was a traumatic event. I mean, you just have to watch the interview with Nui Sahin, with uh, Young Anger uh, Fjord after the game that they weren't ready. They weren't ready. Uh, reports today that they were um, told about um, the nails in the back of the headrests about five hours before the game, which puts in perspective that it could have been a lot, lot worse than it was. That they, they were very lucky that the only sort of outcome of it was Mark Bartra's injury. But it's, it's, it's not. It's going to shake you. Excuse me. <clears throat> There's no doubt about that. And I think it's tough at the same time because, like you mentioned. The footballing schedule, especially at this time of the year, is so tight, um, so neatly wrapped, that it's so difficult to fit the games in. Not only because, like you say, Dortmund, obviously, I think they have nine games in April, um, so they've had to fit a lot of football in in one section. Uh, Monaco, obviously, still in every competition as well, so they don't really have a midweek free either. It becomes a problem of where you schedule the game. And in all honesty, UEFA maybe should have taken more time on that um, the positive thing from their point of view is at least there's no foreign tournament happening at the end of the season. Maybe we just nudge a couple of things back. It's such a tough thing, though, and it's such a, a an awkward situation for UEFA to schedule, but I don't think it's a money thing necessarily because, again, scheduling where it is is the problem, not the money side of it because they have enough to fix any issues, of the bit. they they earn enough, they will get enough revenue from the game full stop. But it clearly affected the game, it clearly affected the players and Thomas Tuchel has every right to be thoroughly annoyed, not only with the UEFA, but I think uh, Dortmund's hierarchy that clearly probably went over his head in the decision of of playing the game. So on, on balance, they shouldn't have played it, but at the same time, you can understand why they had to play it.
0: Adam, what about you? I mean, Dortmund had expressed some disappointment that they were told via a text message from, from Switzerland, i.e. I, I, UEFA headquarters, that they weren't really consulted on on the match. I mean, perhaps moving it would have been an alternative as well as a safety precaution, moving it elsewhere in Germany, maybe to Gelsenkirchen or to Hamburg. Uh, but what, what what is your take on the match being played?
2: Yeah, I have to agree with, with Nathan. I think that... I would have liked to have seen it delayed for for a number of reasons. I think Nathan's absolutely right. I think it was probably a scheduling issue, given how hectic this this period of the season is, especially for these two clubs. Are in you know semi finals of cups and quarterfinals of cups, and there's a you know that would take a long a lot of uh, you know lot of rearranging of games. But I think that would have been worth worth the trouble. I, I mean, because it's such a it was potentially such a horrific. Incident, and obviously the Dortmund team having to play 24 hours immediately afterwards would have, you know, it would have affected them. So, apart from anything else, it seems a little a bit unfair on Borussia Dortmund to make them play so soon afterwards, even if you, even if you're, you, you can look past any of the, the the trauma they would have experienced, or you know how, how scared they probably would have been at, at, at what was potentially, you know, which was potentially such as such a um, sort of horrific, could have been a really horrific thing, and it was still obviously very, very frightening and very, very sort of very difficult to deal with from their point of view nonetheless so I think from that point of view I think a bit more consideration could have been taken from, from that point of view for the Dortmund players and for the, the club in general and and arrangements could have been made to move fixtures to for their to even just to you know to give give them a chance to, to to sort of move on a little bit so they're sort of in the right frame of mind to play what is a very important very important game and I think that's what Monaco would have been fine with. I think Dortmund would have preferred as a, as a squad, at least perhaps the hierarchy had different ideas and you way for different ideas. But I think the, the, the priority here should have been the mental preparedness of the Dortmund team and, and the Dortmund club, you know, the fans and the club as a whole. And I'm not sure that was considered wholly given given the short period of time they were given to 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 recover and, and to sort of get themselves prepared for this game given given how how horrific that event could have been. Obviously they they it was relatively minor in comparison to perhaps what was what was planned, but um I, I would have liked to have seen the the, the Dortmund squad and their, their mental preparedness given given priority in at least a week. And, and have to rearrange around. I think scheduling is annoying, but it can be done. I think it, I think Dortmund as a team and a squad should have been prioritized. And I, I've, I I sort of feel for them a little bit that they had to play the game last night. Cause I think it definitely, definitely would have been affected and definitely looked like they were affected. So perhaps a little bit more consideration at least could have been taken for their sort of mental well-being and, and let them prepare for the game properly. Again, it, it's a shame, but um, I, I think UEFA could have been a little bit more sensitive in that regard.
0: Yeah, it, it, certainly, I think there would, would have been no objections to perhaps bumping the their respective cup semifinals to into May and, and playing it that midweek, uh, just reversing the order of the fixtures or something like that. It's not that there weren't options. It was just a matter of unilaterality on the part of UEFA that I think has left a lot of us with a bad taste in our mouths.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And
0: we'll say that there is some positives to be taken from this match. It was really nice to see Dortmund fans uh, working together to find accommodations for Monaco's traveling party Uh, saw a lot of pictures on Twitter of uh, people wearing the two teams jerseys having dinner together and 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 sharing a beer and giving it thumbs up and uh, also some Monaco fans with uh, none too subtle tributes to Mark Bartra who will who should be fine by the way he he, he does have a believe a broken arm but uh, should be back um, ready to go at least by the beginning of next season so uh, now to the match itself uh, perhaps uh, a little bit ragged a little bit wild uh, not that we didn't expect that but just not exactly the level of precision and, and dynamism that we might expect from both of these teams when they are playing at their very best so Nathan I, I want to start with you let's look at the tactics uh, Thomas Tuchel had been tipped to start with a of a four-one, four-one. That ended up being a three, four-two-one, maybe three, to start three, the four, match. Three, four, with 2 odds, 3 Before one-two, okay. So Dembele is a striker at Kygoa playing. Yeah. Off of a pair of them, but again, you know what, whatever you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> how badly did he get it wrong? Part one, and part two. Should Monaco, how, how could Monaco have adapted to the changes that he did make at the interval?
1: Yeah, I think um, for starters, we preface this in the kind of obviously what we've talked about before. Obviously, that affects it as well. But I also do think that with the players that Dortmund's got, I don't understand too, uh, formation. Like I've watched Dortmund a few times this season and I, I regularly watch the highlights and bits like that. And, and while that obviously never tells a full picture, they have struggled for goals, which what is seemingly why he pushes so many forward. My main issue is with the central areas. Um, I thought that in the first half, um, having Rafael Guerrero next to Julian Weigel left too many areas exposed, if you if you understand. Especially when the the first goal comes from it, they have Schmelzer and. Matthias Ginter, who is a strange, strange footballer. (laughs) I don't get if he's a right-back. I don't think he's a centre-back. I don't know where I'd play him. But they were both far advanced in that first goal. Um, And Rafael Guerrero tended to join in the attacks at that later stage because he's almost playing as... He should be playing as a box-to-box, but he's not particularly defensive-minded as we've seen at at Lorient in the past. So that left Julian Weigl on on an island... And then Socrates just seems so distant to the other two centre-backs as well. He almost seems like he's on his own almost. And that was a real pressure for him around someone like Mbappe, who was running around him, and and Falcao obviously option, offering an option as well. They were just... It didn't really match with what Monaco did. Um, as for the changes in... And for that first half, they were, they were just never seemed like they were going to be a danger. They, they never seemed to get it into Dembele or or Bamiyang and there was no movement in behind. And then second half, that changes with Pulisic who um, completely changed the game for Dortmund. He was excellent as he always seems to be at the moment. Um, Getting, uh, like I mentioned in behind, tormenting someone like Raji who, um, um, it looked like he'd walked through cement uh, during halftime and decided that um, cinder blocks would be better for boots uh, because (laughs) you could walk past him. But, Monaco needed to adapt to that better. Yeah, I agree with that because for the second half, they allowed Dortmund a lot of possession in the first half, but in the second half, they allowed them too much room, too much time to organise attacks and do it in a structured way where they weren't caught on the counter as often. Monaco's passing then became more sloppy. They lost the out balls. And in, in in all honesty, they were possibly a little bit lucky to get that third goal that's probably going to just about see them through, I think, because away goals are, is massive in this time. But Monaco should have done more. They should have really seen out this game because um, once they started to get in behind, they needed to sit maybe a little bit deeper. They maybe needed to... They brought Duran on at a good time, I thought, but he didn't really affect it as much as I'd hoped he would. Lamar probably didn't realize his issues too often enough. Maybe they should have communicated on the pitch and switched so Duran could help Raji. Maybe Fabinho as well, covering that side rather than the other side. They could have done tweaked things a little bit better, but regardless of that, they'll be delighted with the result.
0: Yeah, I don't think we could disagree with that. Just being a bit hamstrung there uh, without Bakayoko. Now, Adam, coming to you, the tie is obviously far from over, even though Monaco do have that lead and, and three away goals, but with Marco Royce potentially available, Tuchel having a better sense of how to counter Monaco's 4-4-2, and not only that, but the host will be lacking Fabinho uh, in the second leg. We saw how important he can be for that team and how poorly Monaco had played in the Coupe de la League final. Um, is this lead safe for Monaco? And... If, if so, or if not, how do you, how should this team adapt
2: uh, come next Wednesday? I think first. Firstly, I, I don't think it is safe. It's obviously an extremely good first leg lead, being you know three away goals ahead in the tie way at what is a very difficult place to go you know obviously with extenuating circumstances for this particular game but still three two win at dortmund is is an extremely good result for monaco and you know that's that they would have very much taken that bef- before the game obviously um but given the way both these teams play and the fact they're both kind of freewheeling attacking teams and you know as we saw as we see with monaco as well defensively in dortmund last night perhaps capable of errors and both you know capable of scoring and you know lots of goals between them that the second leg as we saw with manchester city who play in obviously a very similar way too the second leg could be any score so one goal lead is relatively fine even though there are three-way goals for monaco so I'd, i really don't think the game the game is very much far far from safe but it's obviously a very good position for monaco to be in in terms of how they should play Fabinho, as you said, is a massive, massive miss. Um, Andres Cavio has been on. who works with me uh, as my colleague at Red for, right for for Ligue. sings Fabinho's praises on, on a weekly basis. He will tell you that he's easily their most important player. And without him, as you mentioned um, in the Coupe de Ligue final, they you know really showed the amount of the amount of work he gets through the amount of the presence, the sheer presence, and and you know ability he has to to, to control that midfield, especially in a four four two when both wider players, Lamar and and um, Silva, are so attacking, and perhaps there's you know with too many in there, they can get outnumbered sometimes. But Fabinho much like we've seen Angola Kante do for Chelsea and perhaps for Leicester last year, who played a similar 4 2 at times, he kind of does, he kind of makes up for the, the lack of a, an extra player, if you like. So without him, the, the, it's going to be a huge miss. The only thing you need to balance here is, without him, do they need to change their style to to accommodate his, his absence, if you like, and does that rid them of what makes Monaco, Monaco. So, and even as good as Fabinho is, what makes Monaco great is, is that four, four, two that they attack, that they press. And if they switch to a four, four, one, one, or even a four, two, three, one, and change shape to accommodate, you know, the absence of Fabinho, is, is, is is there sort of some, a threshold of diminishing returns there? Are they getting to the point where it's, it's, Although they're trying to cover up for Fabinho, they're affecting themselves by doing so. So if you did go with, say, Bernardo Silva centrally and perhaps play one of Falcao and Mbappe, you know, that, that's probably one way around it. But I, I think even though, you know, Bacchio could be back for that game, I was very impressed with Gian Martini. We know he's a good player, but that run for the first, for the first goal, he, you know, he's a very, very good replacement. So I think they kind of have to stick to their guns and they have to play that attacking style, keep the 4-4-2. And uh, sort of uh, transport George Amartino in there instead of instead of Fabinho and, and play the way Monaco know they can play and know they can win at home with Falcao and Mbappe. It'll it'll be a good it'll be as good as Atmosphere's go at the Stade Louis which isn't amazing, but it would be full and it would be you know it would be very much a big occasion there for as, as 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 you know as Stade Louis has not put the like the the West study in terms of atmosphere, but even so, I think they should stick to their guns and and play that four four two and 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 win the way they know how to win. I think changing the style would be risky at, 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 at least, given given how well they've played in that 4-4-2. is a very good player, so I think they kind of have to stick to their guns here. All right, so
0: 100% agree with everything you've just said. But sticking with you, Adam, a little bit of devil's advocate here. That system, mm. we, I think Nathan would agree with this as well, that system works so well because of the dynamism that we see from Benjamin Mendy and Zubril citibay now, yeah. if those two are are still not fit to go, you you're forced to go with Raji and Torre again. Do, do you still press press on with this four four two, especially given how poor Raji looked in that second half? He
2: did. He's he's not the same. He's not the same type of player as either of... as Torre. I think is actually you know a very good stand-in, but he's not the same type of player as any of those three, Sadibi and, and uh, Mendy included, of course. Perhaps there's a shout for playing Nabil at right back if they really wanted to go attacking Toria left back Dara perhaps still right back if they really wanted to keep that kind of freewheeling pressing pressing style to go toe to for Dortmund perhaps there's a case for that um I personally think Raji's you know a centre back at, at, at best really and a little bit old and he's perhaps this is an area of Monaco's squad they need to look at in the summer because just having Raji as a as, as a as good as seven he's been for Monaco I think that they, they needed perhaps at least one probably two centre backs in in, in, as reinforcements. So yes, if they want to keep Raji as back perhaps they do need a little bit more protection. But again, is that inviting Dortmund onto them? If they go Raji at right back and Darar ahead of him, move Bernardo Silva inside, is is that asking for trouble? Is that asking to concede goals? I know that um, they're not they're not the most solid defensively. Obviously, Glick and Jemison. I thought Jemison was good last night overall. um They're, they're good defenders, but Monaco are still relatively porous, and especially against bigger teams. So. Robbing them of a little bit of their attacking potential to perhaps shore up a defensive situation that is going to be creaky anyway, perhaps seems a little bit counterproductive. But it's 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 a difficult call, and I would like to be Jardim going into that game because I think it's sort of depending on the result, it's 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 sort of damned if you down if you don't, isn't it? A little bit, but I'd like to see them stick to their sort of philosophy and go go 2 and that's the right back. It's a little bit a, bit a bit of a long shot, but it's an option perhaps. I do believe he's played there in the past, not often. Yeah, he
0: has, yeah. Mm. um, Nathan, your thoughts if if Mendy and City Bay aren't fit? I mean, we know how important they are going forward. Mendy in particular has been, in in a handful of matches, Monaco's standout performer in this competition. How would you look to set things up for next Wednesday if those two are unavailable?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one because I I do want to quickly mention that I thought while he was very poor defensively, especially in the second half, Raji, he did do some good things in the other half of the field and put in some good crosses and bits like that, which is really important to the way Monaco play. Um, Which is why it's also interesting. I thought Adam made a really good point that Dirar in that position might be an interesting one because while he might not be as, let's say, savvy a defender as Raji and and more aware of his defensive position, his speed might make up for that compared to what we saw in the second half against Dortmund because he was terrorised by Pulisic. He was pretty terrorised by Dembele when he decided to go on that wing as well. And they can't have that happen again because if they allow Dortmund to get into a rhythm with a bit more rest, with a bit more concentration on the game, obviously, with what happened, they could quite easily score three goals. But if they sit tight and they work with um, what they've got, I thought, like you have mentioned as well, Moutinho played better in this game, they needed in that Coupe de Le- uh, Coupe de la League final, and that's a positive because if they can move Bakayoko to more like what Fabinho does, or at least tell him to be like that, that might be a positive. So, if he, if that's the important one, I think we I think we all agree that our Torre is a, is a decent enough cover for CDB, if not possibly a better defender anyway. So, uh, while he'll be a miss in an attacking sense with this sort of game on the line, having Torre will be will be fine, but. Uh, I'm I'm skeptical on Raji, unless they play either Derar instead of him, or they would have to play him in front of him because they can't risk leaving him that exposed again. Right, I think that certainly sums things up nicely. So we will be, of course, all over this match next
0: th- next Thursday to break things down. I think that uh, we're in for another enthralling night of football. Hopefully, without as much uh, issues surrounding the match as we had last time. So. Now, turning briefly to the other uh, French team in European action, that is Lyon, who hosted Besiktas tonight. And, of course, their match also wasn't without incident, uh, as uh, Turkish fans uh, were throwing things onto the pitch, uh, and forcing under the fans below them, Lyon fans below them, forcing the fans onto the pitch. The start of the match was delayed by about 45 minutes. Uh, No word yet on what potential sanctions Besiktas and or their fans might face. Uh, but certainly unsavory to see and does nothing to enhance the already poor reputation of Turkish fans in Europe. Um, I remember reading an article, if you look on my Twitter, I, I had a link there uh, to an article, The New Yorker, wrote about the fans and fan culture, and it's really a, a pretty harsh reality and pretty eye-opening. If you want to have a read, I do recommend that. But to the game itself... Um, I guess uh, Adam and Adam and Nathan were otherwise occupied. Nathan was able to catch the second half, correct? Yes. Nathan and Adam are Manchester United fans. <laughs> we <laughs> we give them a pass occupied. on this one. Uh, they're for being derelict in the of I, of course, am a Leon fan, so I watched the entire match. Uh, I guess, for me, what was a little bit frustrating, uh, Leon one two, won again, uh, or perhaps a bit fortuitous to get that result. They were really poor from set pieces, which you don't like to see. Again, you know, Besiktas have a, a, a very big and physical uh, team. Atiba Hutchinson, the two center backs, a lot of players who are 6'2", 6'3. Even um, Taliska is 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 a six three as well. Uh Sanctosin, the striker, is is a very f- powerful physical presence. So, Leon definitely we're at we're gonna be at odds in terms of set pieces. So that that necessarily didn't didn't necessarily surprise me, especially considering how good uh, Taliska's deliveries are. But I think what frustrated me more than that, I mean, it's you, you never like to see your team look shaky and concede from set pieces. What frustrated me more is the way that Leon set up tactically. Uh, a 4-2-3-1 with Quarantine Tolisso partnering Lucas Toussart is not only a very positive formation, it's very attacking. It had Valbuena on the left, Fakir behind Lacazette, and Rashi Geza on the right. But, I don't think that it afforded Leon enough protection through the middle of the park. It didn't allow quarantine Tolisso to get forward like he should do and like he should affect the match. I think that they should have opted for a 4-3-3 uh, with two starts sitting deepest and uh, one of Sergi Darder or Jordan Ferry partnering Tolisso. Now, I know that Darder has been sort of non entity since his arrival, but Jordan Ferry has been an important player for this team in the past. I know he's not as tactically sound, uh, and he's a little bit hot-headed, especially on an occasion like this. But I do believe that he has more gen- enough genuine box-to-box quality for a match of this magnitude to be successful. I think that Leon should have gone for a 4-3-3, uh, probably playing Nabil Fekir on the right and-, and Valbuena on the left. Now, why I say this is that Gezal, he could be a good solution, but in a 4-3-3-1, uh, especially with Valbuena switching flanks like he was, and Fekir cutting inside as well, and Lacazette drifting, with three players playing a, a playing a free role, you really need someone to be approaching that match as a more orthodox wide player. And Leon didn't have that until Corne came on early in the second half. And I think that each of those players, each of the quartet of players, that is Gazelle, Fekir, Lacazette, and Valbuena, are also sublimely talented with the ball at their feet, but they also need space in which to work. And if they're all trying to cut inside at the same time, you're afforded a natural lack of width, on one hand, and also, as I mentioned, that that uh, Besiktas were playing without an orthodox left back. Adriano was on the pitch, but he was playing as a as a left winger to start the match. Uh, Leon didn't weren't able to take advantage of the space that they could have been afforded in wider areas from Besiktas, and they basically, in playing players, that want so many players, that wanted to cut inside allowed Besiktas to sit deep and be compact and soak up the pressure. And it almost worked. Um, so I, I think that, again, a 4-2-3-1 because of the, the personnel may not only be more positive, but a 4-3-3 in terms of creating space for players, I also think I think would have been really impressive. I also think that Gazal offered next to no protection for, for poor Rafael. I know is a bit of a hothead, but I... N- I do think that a lot of the, the battles he got into were often due to uh, being afforded very little protection and, and had Ferry been used in that role, I think that you now would have looked a little bit sharper. So that's my take on the match. I well done to Leon. I want them to win, but again, it's just more fuel for the fire that uh, Jeanette needs to go in this summer. He doesn't, He still from match to match doesn't understand how to get the best out of this team. Um, so Nathan, the, the second half that you did see, um, mm-hmm. talk to me about that. How did Leon look to you? Probably better than they looked to me because I'd seen the first half. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, sorry, carry on.
0: No, no. Uh, were they lucky to get the result or did they, did they deserve it for the way that they had adapted? Uh,
1: I think from at least what I saw in the second half, they probably deserved at least a draw and they, they've nicked the win, haven't they, from a, bit, a little bit of a absolutely appalling goalkeeping from the Buschiktaf's goalkeeper. I have no, absolutely no idea what he's done. But from the reports I've seen in the second half, as the first half at least, it was Besiktas being physical, which is what I expected to get in about it. They nicked a goal through Ryan Babel and they sat on it. And I'm not surprised by that. But credit to Leon that they not only grew into the game and, and really put a lot of pressure on Besiktas. Besiktas barely got out of their own half in the second half, really. Um, and that was a factor. Of, and like you mentioned, I thought bringing Gazalov was the trigger. Um bringing him off because he was a little bit of a non-entity, brought Corne on that. Also, seemed to free up Valbuena even more, um, who was excellent in the second half. I thought uh, Tolisso was very good as well and deserved his goal. They started playing quicker. They started creating more, uh, started creating chances and dangerous chances at that. They maybe should have scored a couple more. There was Lacazette going around the goalkeeper and bits like that. He was a little bit poor really. In all honesty, it wasn't Excuse me. one of his best performances. But, um, no, I thought they probably just about deserved to squeak it, um, b- simply because they were so dominant that second half as it got further and further on. Um, Besiktas seemed to tire; they seemed to sit further and further back and allow the pressure to build on. And yeah, they nicked it. I, I, it was as competitive a game as I expected it to be. I, I mentioned on our podcast that I wasn't sure s- Besiktas were this a kind of team to lay down and and uh, maybe give Leon an easier ride and. The real positive for Leon, and it's a strange thing to say because it was disgusting what we saw at the start of the game. Um, the fact that it's probably going to be a stadium closure in the return leg is a enormous boost for Leon, an absolute blessing almost. I think if they got they grab a goal in Turkey, that game's over. Um, and fair enough, they deserved the win tonight. I think in the sec- for their second half performance, and it's a, they've got a real chance of progressing now.
0: I have to agree with that uh adam anything for you to add on the
2: match or i think nathan's right if they if there is a stadium closure second leg that's huge for leon given how vociferous and how uh, overbearing sort of the the, the crowd is at uh it would be a, almost a goal in leon's favour it's, it's that 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 pronounced the, the 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 support they get so uh as 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 as, as unfortunate as tonight's incidents were i think it may work out for Leon to some extent if they, if they, in a roundabout sort of way, if they do get that stage enclosure. Because I'd fancy them to go through if that's the case. And they've they've got a wave one tonight a little bit. If it's going too late, goals. Besiktas are a good team and, and a very physical side, and have have done really well to 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 push Leon that far. But I think overall, Leon the better side, and I'd fancy them to go through in the second leg. All right. So
0: yeah, an overall positive week for the teams on the pitch and. In- in, in for, from and from Ligue 1 in Europe, but uh, certainly we don't like to see uh, some of the events that surround those matches. Absolutely. So hopefully, you know, all goes well in Besiktas and all goes well in Monaco, regardless of what happens on the pitch. So, moving on now to League One, uh, we are heading into day Thirty-Three, and it is crunch time. And there are several interesting ties this week, or interesting matches this week. Um, just a brief update on our standings. Uh, Adam did great, gain some ground on me. It's not over yet. He's maybe the mm-hmm. first to my Chelsea. Uh, <laughs> I, I've got 76, Adam has 67, and Nathan has 60. Nathan, I'm not going to- lost at least. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not going to draw the analogy there. I'll let you. Uh, so just three matches to look at this week. Um, absence of really compelling matches, but uh, there are a couple. Uh, start with Angers hosting PSG tomorrow. Adam, PSG are without uh, Thiago Silva. They have Kurzawa. Krasawa, and Ange have looked really sharp of late, uh, both in their Coupe de France win uh, and versus Monaco. They are perhaps not. They were perhaps a little bit unlucky not to get anything out of that match. Um, mm. They've won seven of ten in all
2: competitions. So, what's given this team a jumpstart in the last couple months? I think it's a number of factors. As I've mentioned on the pod a number of times, I love Angers. They're one of they're, Put them into lose. Are probably my favorite teams in the league. Uh, I think mulan has done an incredible job getting them promoted and then creating this this effective and aggressive and um sort of very compelling team to watch they keep the ball brilliant in midfield and and doi mangani and santa maria who's coming to replace roman saiz who was very good last season before moving to wolves those three in particular have have been absolutely brilliant since since returning for well since Ndoye turned for Nations african's captain since christmas they've really looked like the orange we had last season when they were sort of third at christmas and pushing for you know a european place for much of that campaign i think what's really changed them though is a couple of things first of all the 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 the, they lost a lot of players to the African Nations Cup and Doi the Geide who's a top scorer to- Kartoko Toko Akambi who's been really good for them this season Nicola Pepe as well is very good off the bench and perhaps would play more if it, there wasn't sort of a bit of furore surrounding his possible transfer so getting them back from the, the, the African Nations Cup was a big big boost and also I think the uh, players returning turning out. plus Jonathan, Jonathan Bamber who's come in and done surprisingly well given he was a little bit anonymous in league Deux, looked really good at Sonetti and when he sort of broke through perhaps you know chances were limited but looked exciting and he's come in and sort of made that position on on the left hand side his own to some extent so i think you know a boost in terms of squad sort of the quality of their squad compared to what it was in january when they looked at their worst this season but compare them to this sort of last 10 games to perhaps sort of the first 10 or 15 games i don't know that in terms of performances They've improved too much. I think they were very unlucky in certain games and perhaps conceded silly goals at the wrong times. And earlier in the season, they still were playing really well. I thought and were unlucky to be sort of down in the bottom five for much of the sort of that first half of the season. So I think it's a combination of their squad sort of getting that boost of players returning and a couple of nice sort of boosted s- signings. You know, Bamba coming in at fullback as well, the other bamba Abdelay Bamber as well, shored up that that position a little bit as well. And Buragah's a decent option off the bench. Scored in that in that cap- quarterfinal. Win against Bordeaux, so they've they've got reinforcements. But in terms of actual performances, I i, I think they've been much better than perhaps their their results suggest this year. Their, their, their first eleven, in particular, uh, those three I mentioned, Deheu and Toko, T- T- Kambi obviously as well. But defensively, even though they've, they've perhaps in the middle part the season they had a little bit of ups and downs. Torre and, and Tamara still, Traore, sorry, and Tamara still still very very good defensively and, and have been for for long stretches this year they've just sort of got the, the rub of the green in recent games and it's sort of the, the momentum's built a little bit so i think overall they've actually had a very good season and perhaps although they were we, at one point we, could rest, we were thinking they're going to go down they were unlucky to be in that position so i, I think if if they got the rub of the green this season for a longer longer stretches i think they could be top eight but it, it, it which was you know unfortunate from their point of view so i i think they're a very very good team and underrated in in, in league and, and I, I think if they keep their squad together next season if they if they can put that sort of form together again who who, sa- who says they can't finish in the top top half top eight maybe even challenge for europe again i, I think they're a very good team and they've really showed it in the last 10 games so that's let's hope it hope it keeps going
0: yeah i think that's really well said and i wouldn't disagree with any of that um i think that I think they're only you know that and some of their losses have been really narrow too thinking about that mm-hmm. loss to that loss to uh not recently. Yeah, yeah. Give give them another six points and they're, they're very much in the mix for Europe. Uh be interesting to see what they can do. So what then would be your prediction for the score Adam? Last season
2: it was nil-nil. I'm going to say nil-nil again. All right. Nathan? 2-1 PSG. All right. I will go Ooh, with
0: a 1-1 draw, making things very difficult for PSG to catch Monaco for that title. But now Nathan, coming on to you, to a team that has been rapidly improving in 2017. Let's take a look at a side that's been among <laughs> league's worst. I'm sorry, Rich Allen, ahead of time here. Uh, Wren have won just once this year. Uh, obviously, the departures of the three wingers uh, that's Grosicki, Pedro, Enrique, and Paul Intep have been a problem, uh, given how much those players who relied upon for scoring and creativity. But given how loath this club is to spend, as well as the injury record of Johan Gorku, who is so important to their system, uh, Joris Nagnon's another one who's been linked with a move away. Uh, Benoit Costel is almost certainly gone. Uh, could a relegation be a real worry for this team next year, Nathan?
1: <sighs> Maybe. Maybe. I, I don't think you can rule it completely out. Um... They had about three rebuilds again under Philippe Montagnier, and none of them worked. And now they seem to be uh, middling in, in nowhere land, is probably the best way to put it. I, I, they just have no thrust about them up front at all. They lost uh, Grosicki. Uh, Pedro Enrique was much less of a loss than the other two, and and then and, and Tep, obviously. And they just have nothing going forward at sometimes. And it looks, they look bereft of ideas when they go forward. The injury record of Gorkuf has obviously inflicted that as well, but they just. I don't know what's going on, really. Dear Carby's maybe not played enough, but at the same time, he's not stepped up. When we mentioned when those left that he needed to be the man that really went with it because he had the talent. The strikers, Co and, and Said, are just wafering, is probably the best way to put it. They never seem to look like. If, if you don't feed. See, see how the ball he's just not going to do anything at all um, and he's just not going to create on his own he's not going to hold the line up on his own he's not really going to test him behind much either I don't know what he does really um, and then you start looking back at from there and you think the midfield isn't too bad um, I think Andre's a good player and, and they, there's something to go there But and the defence is sometimes like against Leon was really really excellent Nianyon is a great player I don't think he leaves this summer. I think he probably just stays and that might just be enough. But they need to have a long, hard look at themselves and Christian Gorkov especially, who everyone was waiting to sign in the summer, it seemed. Everyone was looking at him from Nice to, uh, to Nantes to the ones who eventually got him Ren, And he's not done anything this season, in all honesty. He's not inspired them. He's not created anything different They've not missed a load of players. Yes, his son is would have been a good addition and when he has played, he's been good. But you have to worry that time after time after time with Ren, even when they have spent money, they've missed the mark. Which makes you think that even if they do do a little bit of a rebuild in the summer, are they going to spend that money wisely? Is Gorkov going to build the right side for him? I don't know. Um, and... I'm a little bit worried about them. You're right, and Costillo going for, for it. It's he's out of contract in the summer, isn't he? I'm, I'm right in saying that. Yes. Yeah. So losing him for free is dreadful. I think that any club that loses a player of that caliber without either agreeing for him to sign on and get the money, or why didn't they sell him in the winter? Uh, sorry in um, the summer but you let it go that long that then, then you risk this as smaller clubs that losing a player that I'm not, you could probably have got 10 million for him I think in the summer I, I don't think that's an argument I think that's maybe probably selling him down a little bit because he, is a, he can be a really really good goalkeeper but you take the money you can now they're getting nothing that's pretty embarrassing especially when they can't in, in reinvest that and uh, poorly challenge probably in for a world of pain again probably next season if something drastic doesn't change and they and Golkov takes uh, this team by the scruff of the neck and really changes it.
0: Yeah, it's certainly frustrating to see, especially with the way they had been in contention for Europe, even the Champions League last year, down to the last few days of the season, only to sort of cough things up at the end. And I, I for for Coste, I don't know. I I see him as as being a very inconsistent goalkeeper. Um, but I, I think certainly one who can help a team in Ligue I mean, 1. He's been linked with Marseille, for example. I think there's a number of other teams that are in and around that area that could use uh, perhaps a younger upgrade, maybe to Bordeaux. Cedric S- 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 Carrasso is getting on a little bit now, and I don't think those young keepers are quite ready to take up that mantle. Uh, so, yeah, I, I certainly think that he's he's still ready to help somebody um, at a, at or on the European level of play. So, Nathan... What would be your score prediction for their their hosting Leo on Saturday?
1: Don't watch this game. No, no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think out of the multiplex, uh, yeah, that's not going to be one I pick. I'd probably go for Montpellier Lorient myself. Uh, I'll go with a 1 0 Leo win. Adam? 1 0 for me. None of us are very optimistic about the (laughs) goal scoring chances in that match then. (laughs) Uh, We are running a little bit long, but there is the one more match I'd like to deal with. It is the weekend's Grand Choc, as they call it, the big match in France. That's Sunday evening uh, from 8 o'clock UK. And that's Marseille hosting Saint-Étienne. Adam, you will be in our Guardian column this week uh, writing about Christophe Galtier. Indeed. Uh, Perhaps you can give us a bit of a preview of that, what you're thinking in terms of uh, his relationship and his role in the team, and what the future looks like for him.
2: Yeah, I think it's something we, we we talked a bit about on the pod at times this season that this is a a bit of a make or break season for Gautier, particularly and Saint-Étienne as a club in general. Uh, as I said before, the the, the you know a, a historic and prestigious team in France. They're one of the I think they hold their sort of joint into They've got ten league and or titles, which is uh, joint record holders, and they have ambitions to be you know challenging for elite Champions League places again, and they have have done so under gautier gautier took them over they were fighting against relegation and he, he's very swiftly taken them from the bottom third of the table to the top quarter to the top five and done a really fantastic job you, you results wise you, you can't fault him at all he's been absolutely brilliant for sanetti and they they yeah. look like uh over the past sort of five five years or so he's been there seven. there a, a genuine challenger for, for European places in Champions League places. and have been unlucky not to get into Champions League qualifying rounds in at times in recent years but I think the, 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 his tenure at the club has come to a point where he's taken them perhaps as far as he can he's reached a bit of a ceiling and it's perhaps grown a little bit stale for him at san not for any fault of his own not for any fault of the of anyone in particular perhaps but i think it's just come to the point where both he and the club perhaps need a, need a change they're, they're down in, in seventh at the moment they do t- t- traditionally finish relatively well so there, there's still a little bit of hope for them there but i think they would have been expected to be not making but challenging for that Champions League spot again this year to, to you know they expect to progress every year so to, to be at least Europa League groups, uh, knockout stages, which they were, but perhaps they were last season as well. And there wasn't too much progress there. Obviously they're not going to fancy themselves against Man United. Perhaps there's a little bit of get out for Gautier there that they weren't expected to win that game, but they're also supposed to be challenging for top four or five places in the league. And in seventh, albeit with a game in hand, which is against Monaco, not the easiest of games, three points off Marseille, four off Bordeaux. Those two teams look much stronger and perhaps are in better form. Than than So there's a there's a chance that they finish seventh and don't make Europe this year at all, which is probably what will happen. So uh, it comes to the summer and it's it's sort of has Gautier on a personal level look does he need to look for another challenge? Are there other clubs out there that would that would s- suit him and 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 perhaps require his his rather rather sort of direct and sort of unique set of skills? His skill set is very sort of very defensive, very pragmatic coach, but he gets results and you know that's that's very worthwhile. And perhaps Senetien they need a change as well. That that sort of pr- pragmatic defensive approach has become ingrained at the club a little bit. And at least from my observations of of league and over the last two or three years working at Football Radar, is that they they're kind of ubiquitously boring. They 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 they're they're good, but they they don't excite. And it's sort of become a little bit stale for them. So perhaps they might also be thinking that it's time for a change in a, a new direction for them. So if if they really don't you know at least tread water this season and make the Europa League again, then. I think for both parties, it might be best to move on. And this game on Sunday night will be a big, you know, pointer in, 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 in that sort of, that sort of struggle, if you like, if they win, you know, they go level one points with Marseille, they've got a better goal difference. They go up into six. That's a, that's a huge result for them and they're back in the running, but lose and they're six points behind Marseille. Say Bordeaux win as well. They could be not out of the race, but struggling, really struggling to make the top six. So, so big game for them and perhaps a big game for, for Gautier's tenure at the club. It it could be as uh, could be his one of his last games in charge.
0: All right. Nathan, I wanted to bring you in on this as well. Uh, if Sente win here and they do have a game in hand, uh, they could be as much as three points ahead of Marseille. Uh but to, to you, I would ask: is their season as bad as some people would would make it out, or is it luck? Um, they have injuries to just about every every single one of their important players has missed some chunk of time out. Um but and they've also really disappointed in the domestic cups, losing to Auxerre, and I want to say, now, seeing league cup, does that sound right to you guys? I think so, yeah, that rings a bell. Yeah. But in any event, not to the heavyweights of, of France in, in those encounters. And they had a tough draw in the Europa League against Manchester United. Um, so what's your take on this, Nathan? Is it a, a matter of bad luck, or are things just really that stale under Gaultier?
1: I, I think you make a good point in the sense that Yes, it was a it was a tough draw in something like the Europa League for them. They had a relatively difficult group. They then got a relatively difficult, well, a very difficult for them at least uh, next round match against Manchester United. That they just never really, especially in the second leg, rose to the occasion. They were they were decent in the first leg, but at the same time, there's there's injuries to the most of these key players, but most of them have spent a good amount of time, and there's just a real staleness about the squad. I mean. I was just looking through it a moment ago, and especially in midfield, Pajot, Clement, Dabo, Cornier, Saive, Vertu, Selnais, Lemoine. Does any, any of those really excite you? I mean, none of them have really set the world alight. Uh, in the past, Vertu's been exciting. In the past, Dabo's been decent, but Dabo's played 14 matches and had one assist. Vertu's had 28 games, scored three goals, had three assists. It's not good enough it's not good enough from the forward players. Uh, Nolan Rue is a classic um, can't-score-enough-goal striker. He's never been able to score enough goals. Why he's still employed by this football team, or most football teams in the league, are as a potential starter, I don't understand it. Uh, Söderland's been a real disappointment. Beric, uh, injury problems have maybe held him back a little bit, but still he's missed a number of really, really simple chances. And then you look at the wide players. Uh, humumu's had an average season. He's he's their top scorer with six and that really tells you everything else. The most everyone else has got your four after that. They just really lack an imagination when they play football. Um, Everything is rigid and now teams are starting to find them out. Now they have had injuries. It's been a lot more simpler for teams to score upon them. And, and I think Pogba has been a relatively decent miss as well. He's missed quite a fair amount of time. Him and Peram make a, a real difference, but, that can't be an excuse anymore. I don't think they've been good enough. There's a real staleness about the squad. Uh, th- it needs some excitement in the summer. They need to buy some exciting players in through it. I, uh, it's nice that someone like Ronel, Pierre uh, Gabriel recently, he's been a really exciting player and played really well in the last couple of yeah. games. He, he looks like an exciting prospect. That kind of thing helps, but they just don't have anything in those attacking areas. And like Adam said, it makes them so boring sometimes to watch and stale. And it's such a shame because fans of that club are fantastic and the noise they made against Manchester United in that second leg was, it it blew the socks off of half those Manchester United players. Imagine that crowd if they had an exciting team again. Um, It would be electric and it makes another team in Liga, even though they might not have the financial means to compete. They have that crowd. If they have a bit more excitement, they could be back up there because they they still have some fantastic players. Peran, um, Rufier, if he stays, and bits like that, they've got some interesting players that they can start building around. But something needs to happen this summer, and I, I agree with that. I think it's, it starts with Galtier and maybe a new, fresh approach.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, Jorginho is another one we can look to. Uh, Arnold Nordans looked exciting at times. Dylan Saint Louis, who's out on loan with, I believe, Tor in Ligue 2, uh, is another player who looked very bright uh, when he was with the club before he, before he was loaned earlier in the season. So there's certainly Things to grasp onto there, but I would have to concur with you, gentlemen. And I think a more attack-minded manager might be a better fit for this club—a better way to bring them forward. That does. Con- oh, our score predictions for this match. Before I forget, <laughs> um, I will go with a one-one draw. I don't think either of these teams have been in great attacking form, but they've been decent defensively. Uh, Adam, nil-nil for me. Okay, and Nathan, one uh, 0 Marseille. All right. That is all for this week. For Nathan Staples and Adam White. I've been Eric Devind. Please do join us again uh, next week at our regular time. Again, we usually start uh, from 2200, 10 p.m. UK, not uh, quite so late. Uh, Thanks for staying up with us. And and be sure to follow us on Twitter at GFFN and visit our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com for all the latest news and views from around the world of French football. Thank you, and have a pleasant evening.